Hi there, welcome to or welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me in this episode, um, an episode which I'm delighted to, to welcome Declan Coyle. I introduce some of you to Declan Coyle, for those of you who don't know who he is. Uh, Declan is a, a renowned global uh, leadership and development coach. Um, he is an incredibly bright guy. He was a priest. Uh, he served in the missionaries in Africa. He has worked with GAA teams that have succeeded in both football and hurling. He's been a coach, uh, a support to the coach of the University of Kentucky basketball team, John Calipari, who's on about $10 million a year. Um, he's working with teams of uh, successful business teams, business development teams, and CEOs of global businesses, the scale of which are they're just huge, you know. So it's a real honour to get him on on the podcast. Um, I kind of a, want to keep the preamble here short because the podcast goes on for a bit. My fault for asking some questions in the way they were asked. Um, but it's a really good insight into Declan's view of the world through the eyes of the Green Platform, which is a methodology that he has created to help businesses, individuals and schools um, get the best out of people and help people get the best out of themselves. I got to confess, um, years ago when I'd first seen Declan speak, and I have a few other clients that have seen him speak and have, have met with him personally, um, I kind of was a little bit cynical about all of that um, make yourself better stuff. It was at a time when Carl Dweck was, her book on mindset was the big thing and everybody was reading and talking and TED Talks all day long about how easy it is just to change your life um, because I've never really found it that easy. I've always found um, it quite hard to to try and um, through the sense of purpose, through through resilience, through hard work, through determination, through the obstacle being the way, etc. Moving forward, I've, I've kind of um, thought that if it was that easy, then there's something fundamentally wrong with it. Declan's book is, is on the green platform is really easy to read and it's really easy to understand and my view was that uh, sorry Declan from Senate now if it's that easy then it's 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 not true but but I did a bit of research before I spoke to Declan I've worked with him on a project fairly recently as well and he makes it sound easy because he's a particularly uh, good speaker and a good communicator he's an incredible communicator um, I had to Google a few things and do a bit of research into very, very fundamental like words and ideas, one being the difference between emotions and feeling. Um, and people conflate the two. Um, I certainly did conflate the two. So an emotion is actually a physiological um, experience. It's off the body, whereas a feeling is a conscious awareness of that emotional state. So as, with that as a starting point, it kind of started to make sense to me. The green platform started to make sense to me. Um, so you've got um, emotions like anger, fear, pain, shame and guilt, love, uh, passion. And those emotions um, are, are a conscious mental reaction to an event. And then before you react to that emotion or feeling, you have a choice. There's a momentary, there's like a nanosecond or, or 
a fraction of a nanosecond where you have a choice to determine how you respond to that feeling that was generated by pain, by fear, by anger or whatever. So if I use myself as an example and I can think of the times where the instantaneous reaction to something that pisses me off is it's like predictable, it's been it's been a reaction that I might have chosen thousand million times is one that I will not even consider thinking about and I will just react that way. And what Declan drew my attention to in reading the book and discussing with him and doing a bit of research beforehand is that there is a a gap there there is a gap and a time that you have albeit very very quickly that it, happens, that it comes on you very quickly and it lasts for just a short amount of time but that's the moment and the time for choice and you can rehearse this and you can you can you can practice and practice and practice and you can get better at making better decisions and for me that was a big learning uh, in the in the green platform so that's a kind of a longer preamble than normal, right? Although I'd said I was going to cut the preamble down. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. The pod, the, this podcast kind of goes all over the place. Um, and I was going to try and edit it out, but I think to edit it out doesn't do Declan the, the service that, that, that he deserves. He's, uh, he's a brilliant guy to listen to when he gets in flow. And me taking the scissors to this would have cut the flow from his chat so it does go back and forward but if you're kind of interested in um, creating change transforming behaviors in your work amongst your salespeople and in in your own life then it's definitely worth a listen so I, I, I say this a lot but I'm grateful that you've listened this far so please listen just a little bit more and see um, if you can get inside the head of Declan Coyle and his uh, methodology uh, called the Green Platform. I really hope you enjoy this. And um, yeah, without further ado, I'll introduce you to Declan. Declan, thanks very much for for joining me this morning. Um, it's really great to get talking to you, but I really appreciate you taking time out now. So before we start, thank you very much. You had a, um, a busy night last night. You were working until about 10 o'clock with some of your American clients. Yeah, that's right. It was, um, it, but again... I'd, <clears throat> I'd always question the word work because when you love what you do and do what you love, it's not work. Was even the, the senior manager I was working with, like he, he said, God, it was a fantastic, I didn't know could I do eight hours on, on uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams. But he said, uh, I can't believe it seemed like an hour because we were enjoying it so much. We were learning so much. We we're growing so much. And yeah. it was uh, so... I would never consider it work because I've been lucky enough, Paul, <clears throat> to find, to be doing what I love and loving what I do. And I think that's the key for everybody to connect with their purpose, to do what makes their heart sing and not to die with their music still in them. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, ask you to pull some of those threads as we talk. Declan, um, I'd met you at a, an event about six or seven years ago yeah. and then more recently with one of our mutual friends and clients um and i read two of your books the green platform book and then some of the the other book which has got these anecdotes and and kind of uh, case studies of how the green platform has worked in real life but i 
one thing that I wanted to talk about and, and, um, and it's kind of relevant as the basketball season comes to its kind of the crescendo is you work with um, the University of Kentucky. You've also worked with loads of GAA teams. Um, I'm not dismissing GAA here at all, but you've worked with um, John Calipari at the University of Kentucky. Um, that's a long distance for a Cavan man to be traveling. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, I got connected with, excuse <clears throat> with Coach Calipari through Dr. Pierce Lyons in Lexington. And uh, Dr. Lyons, he's an Irishman, grew up in Dundalk, and uh, he went to Kentucky in 1977 with $10,000 and started a company. It's um, organic additives for animal foods, yeast-based, because he was originally a, a brewer. He had a, a PhD in brewing. And um, he built a company up there from... Uh, up to, uh, it's in 128 countries now, and uh, it's up to three and a half billion, uh, worth three and a half billion, and he has six and a half thousand uh, employees. But he was a huge basketball fan because everybody in Kentucky are their basketball fans. And, you know, <clears throat> there's all kinds of stories like, <clears throat> excuse me, in, um, in uh, Lexington, it's having those tickets for the Wildcats to see the Wildcats games. And there was a famous story about a divorce. And uh, the judge was saying like to the man, like, you know, your wife gets the television, your wife gets the car, your wife gets the house, and your man chipped in. But you, there's no way she's getting the Kentucky Wildcats tickets. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, but she, the Wildcats were, they weren't quite making it. And in 2012, Coach Calipari would be a very good friend of Dr. Lyons's. So he asked me to work with the team. And um, I worked with them that year and they hadn't won the, the national championships since 1998. And uh, they won it that year. But it was, it was a fantastic privilege, a great experience. And it was... Uh, the stuff, uh, I remember one of them players was interviewed on ESPN and he talked about the green platform and the difference that it made. And um, I remember he said, uh, you know, uh, like, what, what did he bring? And he said, well, he turned us from being negative into positive, you know? Yeah. And they, was that it? And your man said, yeah, that was pretty much it. He says, he turned our inner software into winner software. And, um, software to winner software, very good. Yeah, inner and, um, but it was very simple stuff like, um, you know, working with them one-to-one, -one, I'd give them the overall green and red platform process and how it works and uh, not reacting, choosing your response, having your three goals, your vision and all of that and consistently being positive. But it was... You, these were young kids. Now, they were all six foot seven and eight. They were huge. But they were still, I kept reminding myself that Genevieve was 19, 20, whatever age she was at home, that there, there's a Genevieve mind in that, in that huge basketball player. And they were very courteous. Like, there was one lovely guy, a big, huge guy, and he said, excuse me, sir, could you just give me a minute while I say goodbye to my mama? You know, yeah. They're just that lovely touch. But if you give an example, like the change happens, all real and lasting change happens from the inside and works its way out. So to give red platform, green platform, red negative, green pro positive. So I said, um, 
one man was in and he sat down, took up most of the room. And um, I said, well, how are things? Oh, he says, things are very difficult, he says. Very difficult, he says. We're beaten in the Rupp Arena on Saturday, he says. And uh, yeah, difficult, you know. And I said, um, well, I had a chat with him, got to know him. And then I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to switch this. I'm going to be you, you're going to be me. So I lay down on the chair and he came in and, he, and you asked me, like, how are, how are things, you know? And I said, Declan, you want to know how things are? I'll tell you how things are. We were beaten in the Rupp Arena last Saturday, but we learned these three lessons. There's no such thing as losing. You're either winning or you're learning. So we'll, these are the three lessons we use, and this is how we're going to use this to improve. You want to know how we are? I'll tell you how we are. We're going to war, man. We're going to relish the battle. We're going to play with freedom. We're going to play with abandon. We're going to cut loose. We're going to inspire everyone around us. And we're going all the way to win the national title. We're on a journey. We're on our way. We've already won it. It's already only a matter of manifesting and making it happen. And I want you to come into Old Mississippi next Wednesday night. We're playing Old Mississippi. And I want you to come into the dressing room. And I'm going to high five you. And I'm going to say, man, that was fun. Man, I'm remembering why I played basketball because it was so much fun. It was the best thing I ever did in my life. Man, I enjoyed that. And at 10 minutes from the end, we're going to give you a sign that we have each other back, is others back, that we're playing as a team, that we're playing together, that we're flying together. The strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And we're going to fly together like the wild geese when they're flying the V formation. They have 71% more efficient. I'm going to tap the floor and show you that we're playing as a team, that we're playing for each other, that each one of us want the other to look good. Now I said, which do you prefer? Red platform. Uh, difficult. Or they say, and he says, oh man, the second. Yeah. So it was that kind of slowly changing that and getting to see that there was a dream. And put, first of all, the you you see is the you you'll be. Get the self-image. You are champions. See that from the beginning. Because how can you be it unless you see it? See yourselves as champions. Walk like champions. Talk like champions. Eat like champions. Nutrition like champions. Train like champions. And do the extra stuff. Don't be satisfied with what Coach Kilapari will give you, but do all the extra stuff beyond that to be the best version of yourself. So Kilapari so, is described as a, there's an article. Um, I, I like my basketball. Um, yeah. and, and, and the Celtics have probably got a really good chance to um, qualify for the, the finals this year. They've got to pass the, the heat, which will be challenging. But on their roster is a guy called... He's like, I think he's a Turkish guy called Cantor. He's a graduate of University of Kentucky. DeMarcus Cousins played with um, University of Kentucky. So these guys are super, superstars. These are, are yeah. the elite, okay? Uh, Calipari's described in the ESPN magazine, um, and I've taken the quote down here, his greatest strength, of the, strength as a coach is his ability to create teams. So yeah. you're, and we had talked before, Declan, I think I read in one of your books, um, that you talk about sport being a really good laboratory for business. So you work in academia, you work in sporting teams, and you, you work in business. Can you just simply transfer the skills from the, the, the coaching skills from a team into a business environment and, and it will thrive on the green platform? Yeah, it's it, what I feel is that, you know, I've always seen sport as a laboratory for the tools we use in business. Because sport is life condensed. If I can 
You see, choose my response in the heat of battle rather than responding, rather than having that amygdala hijacked. And, um, you know, a, that in, on that sports field or on that basketball court, once I discover I'm not just a bunch of particular reflexes being triggered into predictable outcomes by people and events and situation, and uh, that I'm not like Pavlo's dog, ring a bell, react, that I have a choice, I can always choose my response, and I remain calm and focused. And it, when I do that in the field, I can do it in business. Now, if you look at, see, it, it, a great team is all about the culture within the team. And a great business is about the culture. Now, if you ask people, like, have you ever been on a team like where you felt very connected, very committed, where the team they're very cooperative, where everyone worked for each other, where there was this great esprit de corps, this great uh, feeling atmosphere? Now, does that feeling matter? How does that affect performance? They did a 10-year study in Harvard where they took 10 teams, 10 groups. One group were average and they had individuals working together and in silos, and, but none of that cohesive, none of that cooperation, none of that committed, none of the teamwork, none of that flying together in V formation. Did it make a difference to the net worth of the companies? Over the 10-year period, the people who had that great culture and who worked, had that feeling of working as a team, were they 10% better than the others? 50%, 70%, 100%, 200%, 300%, 400%, 500%, 600%. No, there were 756% richer in terms of net worth than the ones who didn't have that culture. So... Um, so tying yeah. tying tie that back, that's interesting. And taking it back to you know the, um, I I'd be keen to let you explain the 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 green platform, which is the, the title of your book. Um, but I had to do a bit of work here before talking to you, and I did a lot of research on 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 some of the things that that um, that you do, and some of the outputs and the consequences that you help contribute to businesses and teams. I had to I found myself going to look up the difference between emotion and feeling. Because um, you've mentioned feeling quite a few times there. In, in yeah. that, can you elaborate on that, just on how important the difference is? And, and um... Well, it's the, 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 the I, I used to be against positive thinking uh, because uh, I thought, like years ago, I just dismissed it as, you know, in America, they're all positive, but they're not real. In Ireland, we're all negative, but we're real, you know? Yeah. But, what, I didn't know beneath that what was getting to me, but what, what was underneath that was that where I couldn't get positive thinking was that what if I had an emotional situation? What if, um, you know, uh, there was a tragedy, my three children were killed or whatever, and I'm in deep tragedy. So then you come along to me and say, oh, you've got a PME, you've got a positive mental attitude, or you've got to get on the green platform. At that moment, I'll give you a positive mental on the green platform because that is not emotionally honest. So the first step would be, like, honour your emotional feeling. Honour, feel the event fully. Uh, honour that feeling. And, um, you know, there's no healing without a real feeling. And then 
once you can get a little distance from them and let it pass through, then I have a choice. Then I have my white space and I can choose the red platform. And the red platform is the victim, the whinge, the whine, the moan, the complain, the poor me. Or I can choose a green platform with the 10 most powerful words in the English language that are, if it is to be, it is up to me. Now, on the green platform, I choose to be creative. I choose to be innovative. I choose actions that bring joy to others. I'm a go-giver, not just a go-getter. I go with the flow of life. And underneath the green platform is the field of all possibilities. Underneath the red platform is a septic tank of sabotage called fear. Now, that, the steps you go into is first you have the, you feel that you cannot pour pink positive paint over human suffering. Mm. You have to have that, you have to be emotionally real. Now, the feeling is that we go on then and we, on the red platform we use, Poison talk, green platform, power talk, red platform, you say, uh, this is a disaster or I can handle it. But the power talk I'd often give players, I'm confident, positive, strong and fit. I'm fast, flexible, agile and accurate. The bigger the day, the better I play. I'm on the green platform all the way. Now, the, the feeling comes in here that it's not just saying the word. The words themselves are empty unless they're shot through with feeling. Because you look at, like, the original power talk we've all heard was, whatever comes after I am is a command to the subconscious and we become that. Uh, Muhammad Ali had, I am the greatest. And I asked him where he got that. And he said, uh, you know, I got it from my grandmother, he said. And that she kept saying when I was young, keep saying I'm the greatest. Maybe someday you'll believe it. And maybe someday others will believe it. And then he said that, his mission then was to help every man, woman, and child on the planet to be the greatest they could be. But with the Kentucky Wildcats, I was, get, I was getting doing the power talk, and, you know, I'm confident, positive, strong, and fit. In fact, but they were saying, like, they, were, they didn't have the, the, the emotion, the feeling behind it. And I, it was still about Muhammad Ali and Shundan. Did he say words, just words, empty words, I will show you how great I am. Was that what he said? Or was it all feeling from his belly, from his heart, from his gut? I will show you how great I am. It was the emotion that transformed the words. And the emotion gives us that connection with the quantum field or whatever you want that it gets this, uh, the ability to manifest and make it happen in real life. So that would be the first, the, the feeling, the emotion is, is very important because when you have a goal or a dream, if you assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled, you'll get it. Because everything we do in life, Paul, we do for a feeling. I want to buy a new car. I don't really want to buy a new car. If it's transport, we can all drive around in Skodas or whatever. It's the feeling this car will give me. Yeah. I want to get a wife, you know, a partner, you know. It's not, it's the feeling that that person will give me. And we're always focused on these feelings, you know, and the, the, it's, and if we can, like, I was talking to a young woman a few weeks ago, and I was talking to her about happiness and making a choice every day to be happy first thing in the morning, make it unconditional. And she said, oh, no, I tell you, when I meet the right boyfriend, then I'll be happy. And I said to her, no, why don't you be happy now? And you have a much better chance of meeting the right boyfriend. And that goes back, if you want to go to the beginning of the, the green platform, like where they originally started. I grew up, Paul, in a farm, last farm in Calvin, just the Calvin Meath border between, between La Crue and La Sheelan. And we had horses, cattle, sheep and pigs and all of that. And um, 
it was uh, my father had a thing of if a neighbor had hay down or a cow calving, it was we go out, we give that man a hand. And the same thing with the neighbors. They'd come in to give us a hand if we had like uh, all the usual things we'd be doing with hay or, you know, castrating pigs or whatever. But um, then I did the leaving cert at 16 and I remember reading an article in a club and mission magazine about a Colombian missionary in El Monte in a rubbish dump outside of Peru who had 40,000 slum dwellers. And I simply said, sure, if I go out and give him a hand, he'll only have 20,000. Mm. So I joined the Colombian uh, missionaries in Dalian Park, Navin. It was ordained in 1969. 1969 was an incredible year. Bob Dylan was singing the times there are changing. They were wearing flowers in their hair in San Francisco. The students were on the march in Paris. We put a man on the moon in July. Down were all Ireland champions in 68. And we in Cavan beat them in the Ulster final in 69. And on the 21st of December, I was ordained with the Columbans in Avon. And the exact same day, Brian Darcy was ordained with the Passions. So then I thought I'd get out to a slum, but far from that, I was sent to Ottawa to do postgraduate studies. Then I was appointed to teach in Boston. And I wrote to the Superior General and said, look, I've had, five, I've had nine years of post-secondary school study. I have all this academic knowledge in my head. My problem is that I think I know it all. But I'll tell you what, if you give me five years in the slum of the Philippines or Latin America, where the slum dwellers who've been to the University of Life and survived, and they teach me, and I get this in my blood and my guts and my bones, then I teach anywhere. Instantly, I was sent to a slum of the Philippines for five years, and it was a horrific place. I remember the last 90 days I was there, I counted the fun- in the funeral book, the children's funeral, I buried funerals, I buried 65 children under two years old, all who died from hunger or hunger-related diseases. And I had a debrief from a man called Dennis Murphy, a Jesuit from New York, and he was in, did incredible work in the slum, in big slum in Tondo and Manila. He had community organizers, and I used a lot of his community organizers up in some valleys. But <clears throat> I, because of the poverty, because we set up food programs, we sent up all kinds of like cooperatives, credit unions, Grameen banks, fishing programs, hen programs, uh, sewing programs, all of that, projects to help the people to help themselves. And then Dennis did the debrief with me, but he, he praised all the projects I'd done and praised all the work. And he had me, typical Jesuit, he had me purring like a cat, like move over Jesus, I've arrived, you know? And then he asked, the, the, this is the beginnings of the Green Platform, he asked this question that changed my life. He just said, are you a happier, more creative, more vital, more innovative person than you were five years ago? Are you more bitter and angry and resentful? And Paul, I snapped at him. I reacted and I said, Dennis, did you hear a single thing I told you? Were you listening? I just told you I buried 65 children who died from hunger in a world full of food. Of course, I'm more angry and bitter and resentful. What do you expect? Happy clappy. All is well. I have news for you, Dennis. All is not well. All is far from well. And yes, I am angry. And he paused, Paul, and he said, okay, left a minute. It seemed like five minutes. And I thought he's getting it. And then he said, that famous sentence. He said, if you're coming back to this slum, bring the people joy or bring them nothing. Because the last thing they need is another serious, long-faced, miserable, cranky priest working for justice and peace. 
is that the end must be prefigured in the means. You must live the utopia you're talking about. He said, if I want a Mercedes-Benz from you, you cannot give it to me because you haven't got it. If I want inner peace and joy from you, you cannot give it to me because you haven't got it. When you know how to be present, you will know what you need to know. And he said, presence is everything. It's not a linear logic left brain thing. It's a heart and soul and mind thing. And he said, you know, it's your beautiful projects that you're talking about there. They're merely the container. But you've forgotten the contents. The contents are your inner peace and joy. And he said um, that you have this, this place. And years later, Mickey Singer would, and I, I brought it back to what Dennis was saying, because Mickey Singer, who wrote The Untethered Soul and the, the Surrender Experiment, Mickey went through five years of an incredible, tough legal battle uh, with the FBI and all of that. But he never lost this place of inner peace and joy. And he, Mickey would say, inside, you have a beautiful home. You have a beautiful home. It's like nobody can get in there. Nobody can touch that. That's yours and yours alone. And Dennis was saying to me, like, you know, that it, what he was saying was inside, you haven't got a beautiful home. And that's what you're, they, 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 he said that the projects are the container, your inner peace and joy are the contents. And he said, he, he said, he told me I was suffering from when then syndrome. And I said, what do you mean when then syndrome? And he said, look, I, I want to ask you this. How much justice, how much food must you get in Asia, in Latin America, in Africa? How much, how many children must be fed before you can decide to be happy? When then? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Is it 50 years? Is it 500 years? And he said, when? He said, if you're not happy now, if you haven't job, because like he, he kind of paraphrased what Marion Williams had said later, as you let your own light shine, you unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And then that was the beginning. And like now in business, people are all talking about happiness is the new productivity. Where you have a happy company, happy employees, their, their, their performance and productivity goes up 22%. Now, that brought me back to Victor Franklin, my visiting professor in Ottawa. And Victor told me, he, was, he said in Auschwitz, he was in four concentration camps, but he said in Auschwitz, they tortured me, they broke my body, the operations on my genitals, but he says they couldn't touch my spirit. And every moment of every hour of every day in Auschwitz, I was happy because each morning I made a decision to be happy. And he said, you know, uh, where I grew up in Dungiman, the outside determined our inside. You know, outside conditions, bad weather outside, you were feeling fairly miserable inside. You know, a cow dies, you're feeling fairly miserable. You know, the inside didn't determine the outside. We were never taught to make that choice, unconditional choice to be happy every day. But Victor Franklin told me every morning I made a choice to be happy. Now, outside conditions, the outside environment, was that going to get in to me? And he said, no, they killed 39 members of my family. But he said... Uh, you know, the words he used were, they could break my body, he said, but they couldn't touch my spirit. Mm -hmm. And go back to Mickey Singer, I would translate that as, 
to break my body, but I had a beautiful house inside that they couldn't touch. And in that beautiful house, I'm centered and focused and clear. And sometimes he said, when the suffering was horrific, I would detach from it and see myself on a stage telling the people of the world this should never happen again. And as was this, I was looking down on the present suffering. And that was what he was doing was metacognition. He was, he knew that like Rene Descartes, the philosopher said, you know, he said, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. No, Rene, I am not the thinker. I, I, that's not me. I am the one who observes myself thinking. I'm the witnessing consciousness. I'm the alert watcher. I'm the inner observer. And I'm the noticer. That's who I really am. And B.F. Skinner, the psychologist, said, man is the sum of his learned experiences. Or... Today we say woman is the sum of her learned experiences. No BF. Man is the one observing, noticing the inner experiences. And that's what Franklin could do. He noticed the suffering. And then suffering, if you don't transform it, you'll transmit it. And he transformed his suffering with purpose, with meaning, because he saw, he said, give me a why and I'll go to Hania How. And I remember saying to him, that was a fantastic sentence you had. Give me a why. Ah, this it's not mine. I got that from Nietzsche. And if a person has a why, they can go through any house. So they were the two beginnings. And, you know, then it came that in life, when we have a human event, a situation happens, Paul. I feel it. I honor it. I'm emotionally honest. And uh, then I have a white space. And in that white space, I have the last and greatest of the human freedoms. Because Victor Franklin said, in Auschwitz, I discovered that the last, is the last and greatest of the human freedoms is to choose my response in any given set of circumstances. So he said, I'm not responsible for other people's actions. They could torture me, but I'm totally responsible for my reactions. And he picked me up on things like, say, oh, he made me very angry. I said, no, he says, Declan, nobody makes you angry. You are making a choice to be angry. Oh, that one, she really annoys me. No, Declan, she is not annoying you. You're making a choice to be annoyed. But I remember the feeling in my stomach at that time, because growing up in Dungiman, this was countercultural for me. I was conditioned. I, I couldn't, because in Dungiman, people made us angry. And it was a given, like, you know, and, you know, not only the people making us angry, but we had names for them, you know? Yeah. And um, so it was that ability to choose that was incredible. And I would say that now, looking back, if I was, got every primary school in the world, I'd teach them the power to choose, and I'd teach them... The, the poison of limiting beliefs to believe that they can achieve. So that was the first step. And out of that, you have the choice. You can choose the red platform, the victim, the whinge, the whine, the moan, the poor me. And underneath that platform is a septic tank of sabotage called fear. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And it's where I have helplessness. I am the victim where the ego lives, the false self. It's the, where the energy vampires are. You know these energy vampires, Paul. It's not their bad breath or their body odor. But you meet them and they're whinging, they're whining, they're moaning, they're complaining. And they suck the energy from you like a vacuum cleaner. And you go around thinking you're having a bad day. No, you just met me on the red platform. But on the green platform, we have energy transformers. We give energy rather than sap energy. And, uh, on, the, uh, and on the green pl platform, we have... Our, our treasure, I opened the green platform with a quote from Paulo Coelho. Everyone on the face of the earth has a treasure that lies waiting. So 
I say to teachers, education, educate, to draw out from within. Your job, like I had nine years post-secondary ed- education, but I never got an education. Because education has to ask and answer two questions. One is, for educo, lead or draw out from within. What's your gift? What's your talent? What's your signature strength? And the second one is, now how are you going to use that in the service of humanity to build a better world? In all my years, Paul, no teacher, no professor ever sat down and educated me, educated me, mm-hmm. and said, Declan, we're going to look at your unique talent, your signature strength, your gift, and we're going to polish it and shine it and get it ready so you can use it in the service of humanity to build a better world. It's funny that, and, that yeah, the, <laughs> you talk about that, the school thing, and it kind of starts very early in terms of your conditioning and what you think is possible, what you know you can't do, or what you think you know you can't do, what you think you can do. And some of the career choices that people make are based on their parents' career choices. And, and there's no way in the world that, you know, when a child is born into the world that you've been born into a family where the parental skills are 10 out of 10. There's no guarantee that they're excellent at everything. And schooling is something, um, you know, you talked about awareness there um, and emotional intelligence springs to mind, something that we talk, I talk a lot about in sales and coaching and that, but emotional intelligence is very seldom taught. It's like the, the whole idea of awareness is okay to, like for a long time, you would think that the, the range of emotions from anger down to, you know, guilt or shame or whatever, um, they're awful. It's awful to feel shame, and therefore you can't honor that emotion. It's awful to feel guilty, therefore you can't honor that anger. Anger is a really positive energy if you can honor it and not let it take control. And I think that what I, what the point I would try to get to, Declan, is that when you have those emotions, it's really important that you're aware of those emotions because before you need to you need to know what you're dealing with before you can make that choice. Is that right? Yeah. No, that's very powerful. And it's that if you look, I always say the ego lives on the red platform. The ego is the false self. The ego will work its socks off to keep us from our happiness now. And it, the way it does that is it gets us into the past with shame or guilt or regret, or it gets us into the future with fear, anxiety or worry. But like a shadow cannot live in sunshine, the ego cannot live in the now. The ego cannot be present in the now. So the minute you become aware of the ego, it loses its energy. And... Um, so it's having those emotions because being aware of them and the big trick with these emotions, especially ones from the past of shame or guilt, whatever, is to feel them, to honor them and to let them pass through you. Like, and you do it one, just let them pass through, like, like it's like a river going down to the sea. Let them flow out and then harvest the wisdom of that experience. So you let the emotion go, you feel it fully, let it go through you and harvest the wisdom. And then you replace it with, because in a scale of one to a thousand in that uh, book, Power Versus Force by Dr. Um, David Hawkins, he would measure the map of human consciousness. But on a scale of one to a thousand, the, the lowest one is, is um, shame at 40, then the scale to not, and it goes up then to the higher ones, like the highest ones are, love, compassion, care, kindness, all of those are the, are the high ones. And it's just, it's changing our energy. And I just say to people, like, you know, that if you're going in at home after a day's work and you're stressed out and everything, first release, let go all of that, relax all your body, let it all go. And um, 
I often tell people that there's a tree at home and I just hang up all your troubles on the tree. And then intention, that's releasing it. What feeling, what energy, what emotion are you going to bring in to the home? Are you going to bring in joy? Are you going to bring in like um, creativity? Are you going to bring in uh, encouragement, what it is? And do that before you go in. And then at each stage during the day, if you have a meeting, release, let go of the tension, and then bring in the positive emotion. Am I going to bring in confidence to this meeting? Am I going to, whatever it is, and you just bring that in. But Paulo Coelho said, everyone on the face of the earth has a treasure that lies waiting. So we look at the, that education system where people are not, I got Ed stuffed in Asian rather than education, you know, yeah. from the inside out. But you look at, we go around the world, we ask people, how are we, the company, using your strengths, using your unique gift, using your, say, your, your, your special talent? 83% Paul say, no, you're not using, you're, the company's not using my talent. So we end up with Mozart making cows, we end up with Michelangelo minding sheep, and we have a huge amount of middle managers, very committed, working very hard, teaching hens to swim, but the hen is no good at swimming. So they get the hen and for the afternoon, they, they get the hen to a, they build a gym and get the hen doing swimming exercises. Still the hen is no good. Then get a personal trainer. Come on, hen, you can do it. Eight, nine, 10, 11, doing that. Still the hen is no good. Then they do 360 degree feedback. It's not just me, but everyone says you're okay at laying the eggs, but you must improve your swimming. Your swimming is very bad. Then they bring in this guy who wrote the green platform. Get him. Come on, Hen. The you you see is the you you'll be. Get on the green platform. Get positive. Get rid of those limiting beliefs. Dream big. Get rid of him. He's useless too. Then one day, Paul would discover a duck and a duck swims. Swimming is a duck's job. Laying eggs is a hen's job. And Simon Sinek has had this study where he saw that people who were not happy in their work went home and were very nasty and vicious with their families and their children turned into the bullies in schools. So we could reverse all that by people connecting to their purpose, doing what makes their hearts sing. That's what Dr. Pierce Lyons used to always say. Don't die with your music still in, still in you. Do what makes your heart sing. And once you're doing that, then there's, you're, you're contributing, and we can build complementary teams because my weakness is your strength, and your strength is my weakness. But together, we can build a very powerful team. Yeah, the the like the starting point for for man for managers looking at um, staff and looking at different teams, they have got quite a lot of time on their hands to to identify where the weaknesses are, and over a period of time, they can make assessments. And sometimes, when you're coming back from work and you've got had a bad day under your belt, you have maybe a little bit of time when you stop the car and walk the distance from the car to the front door, and know you're going to have to readdress your emotional position before you enter the house on that. But when it's sometimes, Declan, if you're in the heat of battle in the middle of a negotiation or you're talking to a colleague that's, you know, not responding the way you'd like them to respond or you're talking to your partner and something is happening that you feel an emotion coming up that will lose control very quickly. You can lose control of it very quickly or it can control you very quickly. There's a fleeting amount of time. It's like a nanosecond or, or a, a multi-millisecond between acknowledging that the emotion is there, letting it pass, and then 
making that connection to the green platform. Yeah. Can you rehearse this? Is is this something that you can rehearse? Can you train your uh, mind to move quickly through these emotions? Yeah, absolutely. And um, And it all comes back to the word you said earlier, awareness. Like just having that awareness. But once we get awareness of the way we're reacting and, you know, responding to or reacting or responding to people, the ego is always there. So the ego will come in and interfere with our awareness and make it a judgmental awareness. You're supposed to be better than that. So we must all make sure that our awareness is compassionate awareness. Mm-hmm. There was a great guru one time and um, I met and I said, in all the top people, he had trained Deepak Chopra and the NLP and all of that. And I said, in all these gurus you met, what's the single most important thing you learned from them? And he said, number one is awareness. And I said, what's the second? Number two is awareness. Number three is awareness. And 10 years later, I met him and I said, I asked you what are the top three things you, you learn from all the work you do with the gurus and all the rest of it. And he says, what did I say? I said, I'm not telling you. I want to know what are they now? Well, he says, forget what I said 10 years ago. They, they don't matter. They really don't matter. What I say now is number one is awareness. Number two is awareness. And number three is awareness. And it's that once we have that separate, because I would do, we all know what to do, Paul. Absolutely. Like, um, like get up this morning. You get up this morning, uh, you get out, uh, you go for a run or a walk, you come back in, you have a quarter of an hour meditation, a quarter of an hour bit of yoga and stretching. You have a nice, healthy breakfast, you know, that's uh, re- real good food. You're set up for the day. We all know that. That's why probably everybody did that this morning. It's not knowing what to do. It's doing what we know. Now, I heard from Viktor Frankl, and it had this, my mother used to say, Paul, yes, in one ear and out the other, she'd say. Well, Viktor Frankl, all that stuff he told me, I had an intellectual knowledge of it. That's not, it, this, is, this whole work is about transformation, Paul. And it's about not knowing what to do. It's doing what we know at these intense moments. So I'll give you a quick example. Like, to introduce it, the subconscious controls 96% of the way we act and move and have our being. But the subconscious won't process negatives. So if I say to you, don't think of a white rabbit, the white rabbit is there. Don't think of a polar bear in Alaska. Not a red polar bear, not a blue polar bear, and not a little polar bear with a Tyrone jersey. No. A mother would say to a child, here, don't drop that, the child would drop it. Don't bang that door to a child means bang that door. The subconscious one process not don't instead of without. So about 22 years ago, Genevieve was four and I'm putting eggs in the fridge. And she said, Daddy, I want to help you put the eggs in the fridge. And I said, no, Genevieve, no. Uh, they're very delicate. They're very fragile. I put them in myself. Oh, Daddy, please, please, please. I want to put the eggs in. I want to help you. I said, okay, well, just be careful. Don't drop them. So on cue, she drops the two eggs. And as I saw the eggs hit the floor, I was about to react as all the generations of my family reacted when we dropped eggs from the tree nests of the birds on the cave floors when we were cave men and cave women. All those generations of, I, I suddenly, I became that bunch of predictable reflexes being triggered into predictable outcomes by people and events and situations. Now the eggs are on the floor. And instantly I was downloading all this parental muck into my head. Like I specifically talked... What's the point? You don't list all of this. And the last second, Paul, the last second, I saw the white space. 
I saw a little green platform the size of a poster stamp. And I said, Genevieve, isn't that a very interesting design on the floor? Do you think she'll take a photo, photograph of that and show it to Mammy? And the little face looked at me. She caught my knee, Paul, and she just said, Daddy, I love you. She was so shocked that an adult had chosen a response. Now, I can say, Paul, that was the first time in my life in this planet I consciously chose my response. But once you do it once, you fire and wire these neurons in your brain. And you can, neurons that fire together, wire together. You talk about it now, they're firing and wiring again. So it becomes easier the next time, easier the next time. And we practice and we practice. Am I reacting or choosing my response? Is there an amygdala hijack or do I choose my response? And the more you learn to choose your response, and then you practice in the midst of all kinds of rows and arguments where the emotion is high, you do it. And you start having fun at it. Yeah. And you train yourself. Like, this is all about practice. Like, sometimes the football team has said to me, we're in the county championship next, final next, so will you come down Friday night and give them, give them a session? Now, oh, gee, like they, 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 won't, they, they can't take too much of this. Could you do it in a half an hour, you know? And I said, it doesn't work because these are guys that have ran up and down sand dunes for three hours, mm-hmm. you know? And they're saying to me, they can't sit in front of you for more than a half an hour because they wouldn't pay attention, you know? But the other thing is, you can't do a half an hour. It, it takes training. It takes practice. And it's like, you know, it's the, you know, we'd, we'd have the Kentucky Wildcats just, I'm confident positive, strong fit, you know, and then you get them to get what I call a green platform partner. You get a green platform partner. In business, what I do with the green platform partner is it, normally goal setting flat lines at 40%. But the research has shown, and we've had this green platform concept for the last 30 years, but it's extremely effective. Goal achievement goes up from 40% to 95%, a 55% increase when you have a green platform accountability partner. So I get them to meet every Friday for 15 minutes, and there are five questions. One is, was in the green platform this week? Because that's culture, and culture will eat strategy and plans for breakfast. A positive can-do culture when people, and another Harvard study said, when people are positive in the present, and we would say on the green platform, productivity went up 31%, uh, sales went up 37%. And this CEO in the States said to me, ah, oh, this green platform is all touchy-feely. What's it got to do with the bottom line? What's it got to do with profits? What's it got to do with shareholders? And I said, okay, do you want to know the cost of the red platform, the toxic negative culture to the economy, uh, last year in the United States. He said, yeah, but I want genuine research. I said, with the Harvard Business Review, page 62, the May edition, 2014, would that suit you? Well, absolutely, he said. The cost of the American economy the year before of negativity, of red platform, was half a trillion dollars. If I have $1,000 bills in my hand, four inches high, I'm a millionaire. This is $1,000 bills in my hand, 38 miles high. So I said, that's the cost. Whereas you get the benefit from, you know, the green platform benefits are phenomenal, not only in terms of financial, but in terms of morale, in terms of the, like the, the, that toxic, um, the, the chemicals go down, the cortisol goes down, and you have an increase in serotonin, you have less colds, better, everybody, and every, it, it, you, you win at every level. But it's gone back, <clears throat> Paul, to that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, 
is my power to choose. And in that lies the last and greatest of the human freedoms. And so powerful is this, that Philly McMahon, who would have been a great Green Platform fan and read it and got about 30 copies for his friends, when he was writing this book, he knew that his brother John had made a choice to go on drugs and he lost him and he was, but he made a choice to play football. And he was going to call the book The Power to Choose. But instead of that, he called it The Choice. Because it's that choice, whether in life or in a moment in sport, you know, and I can go through moments that, you know, <clears throat> an All-Ireland semi-final, you know, and one team is ahead, desperately striving for an All-Ireland. And this man comes in 10 minutes from the end and hits a player from the other person, the other team, gets sent off, and his team lose. They had one hand on the Sam Maguire Cup. And, you know, it's that, it, it, which platform do I go? I have a choice there. If I go on the red platform, it's bad for the team, it's bad for me, it's bad for everybody. And have I got that? And, can I pray? and if I can do that in these intense situations, because if we look at stories, an event has no meaning, a situation has no meaning, a fact has no meaning, unless I make up a story about it. And my question to people is, why when something happens, do you make up a story and the red platform makes you feel bad? Yeah. When you make up, like this is a disaster, when you make up a story and the green platform makes you feel good, like this is a great opportunity. So why do you say, woe is me and the red, when you can say, I can handle it? And that's the choice of your story. I'll give you another example of, um, say, um, a, a hurler, and uh, they had lost a big game, the later went on to win their learn but by 15 points, but three goals were in. And I said to Moki, your energy follows your story. Where attention goes, energy flows, and feelings follow focus. What you focus on, you feel. Now, when the first goal came, what's your story? I said, my story was fine. Second goal, my story was fine. Third goal. Well, I said, and he mentioned the name of the Carpenter Poet of Galilee, and he said, now we're totally finished, except finished wasn't the verb he used. So I said, now go back to that moment. Was that a red platform story or was it a green platform story? Was it a toxic story in the red platform? Because your energy follows your stories. Or he says it was a toxic red platform story. Now go back to that moment. What would have been a green platform story? I say she always telling players like dynamite, all the powers on the inside. All we did is something to ignite the wick. I should have said that ignite the dynamite. I should have said that the third goal is igniting my dynamite. I'm going to explode in this game. I'm going to go to war. I'm going to relish the battle. I'm going to play with freedom. I'm going to play with abandon. I'm going to cut loose. And I'm going to inspire everything around me. But he says, sure, effort. I didn't say that. No, I said, but you can from now on because you've got a story that will energize you. You have the scene of story. And he went on to win an Ireland and an All-Star. But that's the power of story. And the that's same... The internal, in a that's the internal dialogue, isn't it? That's once you get into um, that conversation with yourself to either, as you say, inspire yourself to use that opportunity as a platform and a springboard to move forward, which is the green yeah. platform, or you can just uh, suck the energy out of yourself by reconfirming any bias you might have had that I can't do this, this has happened to me before, this always happens to me, sure I'm no good. And yeah. you're you're and you take that and like you talk about I mean I see the green platform as a as a book that will work not a book, a concept, a model, a, a theory that yeah. will work for individuals. But when you take it into a business or a team, you can't really take that in unless there is the culture, the, the culture of transformation. You can't change unless you have got the desire from amongst the people within they've got a common vision they all want to go this direction 
And the green platform allows them to make some very easy decisions on how to do that, right? Yeah, and it's. Uh, I remember doing doing it with the senior manager of a multi-billion-dollar company in California, and the president said to me afterwards, "In the last three weeks since we did this, he said the the senior managers cannot get over how something so simple can have such a profound cultural transformation on the whole company." And it's just, and he said, even very simply, he said, "I immediately put a red and a green mat in my office, and somebody come in with a problem, I say, okay." If you have a problem, you stand the red mat, and then you have to turn and go back and come back with a solution. And after a few days, this guy came in and says, sorry, I'm heading for the wrong platform. I'll be back when I have a solution, you know, or whatever. So it's little things like that. And in, in a staff room, one with teachers, the principal told me the teachers, they came in themselves and they said, we're going to put a green mat here. That's a green platform. And every morning we're going to come up, and as the All Blacks say, you ritualize to actualize. So we're going to step on that mat and just for three seconds make a commitment to bring positivity into the, into the classroom that day and to stay positive and to choose positive, uh, choose our, our responses. And he said that transformed the school. Another school I did it and the first thing they did was they came in on the Saturday and the, some of the teachers painted the door to the, to the staff room green because everybody comes in here has to be positive. And it's those little triggers that help us throughout the day to stay positive. And then we come to questions, Paul, because on the red platform, I have toxic poison questions. And it's 100% certain I'll get a toxic poison answer. Uh, poison questions are, why me? What else is going to go wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Why do these things always have to happen to me? And it's 100% you'll get a poison answer. Why you? I'll tell you why you. Because you're a slob. Because you lacked early life love. Because your mother loved your sister more than you. But you didn't have a sister. But if you had, you would have. So we're going to get a poison answer to a poison question. But if we go to the green platform and we ask power questions, and the power questions are how can what can how can we turn this around and enjoy the process? Yeah. How can we increase our business during COVID? How can I be the best version of myself today so that those around me can flourish and shine and be the best that they can be? How can I get into the 20% of my activities that deliver the 80% of my results? How can I work out of my strengths today? How can I respond with joyful, loving service to whatever life is unfolding in front of me now? Because we create and manufacture most of our own suffering to our existence and unacceptance of what's unfolding in front of us now. What's unfolding in front of me now, Paul, took 13.8 billion years to get here. It had very little to do with me. All I have to choose, all I have to do is, all I can control is my response to this present moment. And is this present moment going to be better because it encountered me or going to be worse? That I have total control over. And they, one of the things that um, I, I hate about you, and I, I'm going to rephrase that in a second or two, but I really hate about it. You make it sound so bloody easy, right? And <laughs> but but I, I've seen your work. I've seen the work at play. I've seen you know the, you talk about the Kentucky University is one thing as well documented that that there those players are on millions per game almost. The coach is on ten million. You're working with multi million dollar and pound organizations that are genuine global organizations, and you, your language is one of I know what works. You kind of got to trust me um, because you've got all the, you, you make, you do make it sound really, really easy. So what I, what I want to try and frame is for the guy driving to work in the morning, 
who's listening to some heavy metal stuff or let's listen to some grunge rock or listening to some dance music on the radio or worse than that he's listening to the news so he doesn't <laughs> his negativity's coming in flat out and he's yeah. on the phone texting and everything else and he's messaging away and then the next thing somebody cuts him up and the horns start blurring and the finger sign language is all over the place and the ability to choose a response with speed you have so many other uh distractions that you kind of really need to be removing a lot of those obstacles and distractions from the start of your day anyway. You know, listening to the news in the morning, cut out some of the social media stuff, cut out, uh, be be more alert, be more uh, consciously aware, you know. That's a great example, Paul, because I'm driving down the road, and that's a great, because... Every we know from sport, we know from everybody that practice means it's practice, practice, practice. You know, that some people say to me, like, you know, or oh, this, you know, they expect this to come automatically. And I say, no, you, you use every occasion to practice it. If I want you, Paul, to play beautiful Mozart or Beethoven's music, you know, there's the piano, and you go and you start playing. All oh, this is very hard. I, I can't. No, Paul, you start with the notes and yeah. then you go and you get better and you, and you start and build up and you build up. And it's practice repetition as the mother of skill. Your repetition, repetition, and you make mistakes, you learn from mistakes. You know, uh, failure is the fuel to get it right next time. There's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. And you just learn and you practice, practice, practice. So I'm driving down the road and um, somebody cuts me off. Now, I have a, if I go automatic, if I go unconscious, if the program is running me, then I scream and shout and curse and give the person rude gestures and all the rest of it. Now, do a cost-benefit analysis on that. The cost is 100%, the benefit is zero. But if I remain calm and focused and centered inside, and if I have this beautiful home inside, I see it happening and I can make a choice. Now, getting back into trouble, whatever I need to do then, I have a much better chance of handling it if I'm clear and focused and centered inside, then like the physical equivalent of freaking out would be somebody cuts me off on us and so I get freak out and I jump into the back seat and cover my eyes and my ears. That's not going to help the car get out of the situation. Yeah. You're 100% better off being calm and focused and making that choice. And once you make that choice once, then you do it again. And, then, and by the end of it, people are cutting off and you just send them a blessing or release them and let them go. Like, uh, it's... But you, you see, you get up in the morning, Paul, and, the, you know, if we're on the red platform, the familiar past becomes a predictable future. So I bring the problems of yesterday into today. But if I get up in the morning and just breathe, slow down, stop the revenge engine in my left brain and start because I'm either a victim of yesterday and a victim of the outside circumstances or I'm a creator and the red platform or I'm a creator of my day on the green platform. So I just ask the question, what is the best version of myself today on the green platform? What's the highest expression of myself as a human being today? How can I be the best version of myself possible today? The minute you ask that question, you've eliminated the outside, you've eliminated the past and your frontal lobe, which is the conductor of all the neurons in your brain, starts firing and wiring, searching around ways to make you better. So then 
you look at situations that can come up through the day and you rehearse the steps. How can, like this morning, I rehearsed this, this interview with you, Paul, and I was saying, how can we make it magic? How can we put the best? How can we add more value? How can we make it the best possible transformation podcast ever? And you say, and you get into the flow of that and you're here's the steps and you do your preparation. Then that's, you set the intention, first of all, and that's your goal, your day, whatever the thing, and you rehearse all the steps. And next is you get the feeling. What is that feel like? And you don't get up until you get the feeling. Because the feeling is what transforms. So that you get the feeling, once you and once we get the feeling of a great podcast this morning, then it's like deja vu. This is the feeling we bring into it. And then with this is what quantum physics has taught us. Then we give gratitude. We're, we're grateful for our chickens before they're hatched. We count our blame. We, we, we're, we, we give thanks for our prayers before they're answered. Because where I grew up in the Newtonian world in Nguyen, and if I was captain of a team or anything, go down to Revenue Park and people say to me, like, you know, have you made your victory speech? You know, have you? And I said, whatever pishrogues or kind of condition I had was mad stuff. I said, oh no, why? Oh, I wouldn't want to tempt faith. I don't want to jinx it. Where did that come out of? If it was now, I'd be saying, yeah, I've written it and I have the trailer ready for the celebration of the team oh, we go yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. No, that's a, like a lovely, you know, just we're talking to um, a, a client the other day who's got a, what's our mutual client, who's one of his, one of his team yeah. is playing in a very important game this weekend. And the language that we were using was one of when you win, what are you going to do? And, you know, it's moving on yeah. to the next step. But, but, it, but a lot of the stuff you're talking about there is, takes me back to, to sport, you know, a bit cool camera collected, a bit visualization, you know, and then you're bringing in some very contemporary uh, suggested and recommended skills about journaling and meditating and uh, setting an intention. But, th- but those aren't really contemporary. Like those have been around for, you know, the people, the people who are taking control of their day rather than letting the day control them have been doing that yeah. for since time began, really. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth of it, isn't it? Yeah. And you see, Paul, when we look back and we look at anybody who ever changed history, did that they did it from the green platform because if you look at say that martin luther king or joan of arc or william wallace or Pori pierce or any of those people who changed history and you say like martin luther king gathered there at that monument in washington half a million people now the external circumstances and past history the familiar past becomes the predictable future this would have been a speech i have a complaint I have hundreds of complaints, I have thousands of complaints, I have millions of complaints. Let me start with the Klu Klux Klan, let me start with the restrooms, the, uh, the restaurants, the, the buses. Let me start to talk about, no, he didn't go there. Anybody who ever changed history, as we have to change our day, they lived out of a dream, and he started off, I have a dream, da 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 da, and he repeated it, I have a dream, da 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 da, I have a dream. And the dream became more real than the external circumstances. Victor Franklin Auschwitz, I have a dream of standing on the stage of the world telling people it should never happen again. I have a dream. And the dream becomes stronger than the reality. And you, then the external, and people live out of that dream. So when I start my day with a dream, what's the best version of myself I can give to the world? How can I serve? How can I contribute? How can I make the team better? How can you make other people look good? 
Oh, it can be a sense of purpose, isn't it? Like that's that's your what's motivating you and driving you forward is that it doesn't have to be singular. It helps if it is singular, but you've got a very clear sense of purpose to what you're doing as an individual, as a business, or as a team. Yeah, and that's your your true north. And once you have that, and it's all about seeing the hidden potential in people, drawing it out, seeing how they how can it be the best for. I'll tell you, I was working with Coach Kilapari one time. He was giving a speech at the Altec conference and I was down in the back room working with him on. And he said, um, uh, he said, I, um, I need to have my notes, you know. And I said, no, coach, no notes. You're not going to bring your notes because I said, you'll start reading your notes and you lose your connection with the audience. And he said, but what if the PowerPoint goes down? No, trust the PowerPoint. But even if the PowerPoint goes down, you have energy, you're talent. What I want you to go out and like, what's the telegram? What's the one sentence? What's the tweet when you condense your speech down? What is it? He said, okay. My question is, and the thing that I ask you all day, how can I be the best version of myself today so that those around me can flourish and shine and be the best that they can be? That's it. And I said, okay, coach. You have that sentence, you go out and you tell the stories about how it happened and how this happened. And he described one player, and uh, you probably know who he is, but he was a top player. He was a brilliant player. But he came to the coach and he said, Coach, I want you to drop me for the next three games. And I want you to put this other player on in my place because he needs confidence. He needs to build his confidence. He's not going to build it on the South bench. He's only going to build it on the court. I did that, he says. And this other guy came, built his confidence and played a major part in us winning the title. And he said, but the overall, for the pick came out then for the NBA, even though your man hadn't played, he was still second pick because people knew the quality of the man, the character of the man. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's that, how can I be the best version of myself? It's not for me. Like, that's, it's not, it's so that those around me, and it's like your work, Paul, where do you get the joy in your work? Where do you get them? The magic is in seeing people develop and achieve their true potential, you that's, know, uh, becoming more than they've ever dreamed of. That's true. Yeah, that's 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 true. That that word that you used at the very start about being tra- transformational, it's it's transformational is like a very extreme word, isn't it? You know, you can say they use yeah. the word change, or you can talk about transforming and transformational. It's kind of extreme, but when you do achieve those kind of outcomes, there's a real sense of purpose. There's no doubt about that. It's a real yes, that sense of purpose. And then there's very small formulas, Paul, that we used it, and the one that I would give. A green plan from formula is a very simple one. It's, it's acceptance is number one. Acceptance. So it is as it is. Whatever happens, accept it. Because again, we create manufacturers suffering through a resistance and not an acceptance of life as it is. But acceptance on its own can degenerate into indifference or apathy. So we must add plus number two is pan, P-A-N. Easy to remember, like a frying pan. And P-A-N is plus positive action now. Of the 100 things you do, what one positive thing can I do? How can I get momentum? Then the next positive thing. Then the next positive thing. And then the whole universe will conspire with you to make it happen. When you move, providence moves too. It's like walking down a corridor. If you sit there, nothing happens. 
But when you walk down, all the right doors open. So, but how does that work in practice? Well, a number of years ago, about two and a half, almost three years ago, I was in San Francisco to text Renette. We have a special needs child, Alexander, here. He's our third child. He's 15. He has Maud Wilson syndrome. The first child in Ireland to be discovered was Maud Wilson syndrome. It means he never talk. He won't walk until he's about 16. He's taking a few steps now and you, you hold his hand. He has scoliosis. So he, has to, we have to, he has multiple allergies. We have to cream him every morning, put on a special suit on him, a straitjacket on him every morning. And he has 33 medications a day. He's doubly incontinent. He'll be in nappies for the rest of his life. And uh, he, is, like, he was six months in, in Crumlin Hospital in 2011, six months in 2012. He was 11 days in intensive care where he almost died. But he's the most magical child. But two and a half years ago, the government and the HSE took away his medical card and the terribly cruel medical card called of all the terminally ill children. So I had a choice when I came home. I just got the text. No. The first thing I thought was, your conditioning kicks in. This is a disaster. So I realized I'm on the red platform. No, it is not a disaster. I will never do disaster. There's no such thing as a disaster. I have choice. I have the power to choose. So I landed on the green platform and said, no, this is a great opportunity to get all the mental cares back for all the terminal children. So I said, okay, what's the first step I can do here? Acceptance plus pan, plus positive action I was... So somebody hit something, and I was doing emails on Facebook, and I wasn't too good at Facebook. So I put up Alexander's picture and a story on Facebook, and I got Genevieve to check it. And she said, Dad, if you put it up like that, only you and your four friends, if you have four friends, will see it. But if you press this globe, thing, other people will see it. That night, I got a call from a journalist. We got a two-piece spread in the newspaper the next day. Then I'd been on the Saturday night show with Brendan O'Connor sometime before that, promoting the Green Platform. And Larry Masterton, the producer, said, We'll give, we saw the story, we'll give yourself and Annette 13 minutes on the Saturday night show. We'll take 13 minutes of the man who played Nelson Mandela. We did the Saturday night show and Annette brought in two suitcases full of shrinks and stuff. The uh, journal.ie had 30,000 views of the story at 12 o'clock the next day. Monday, the Independent had it. Tuesday, me and Martin spent five minutes in the asking Andy Kenny, why did he take Alexander's medical card away? The 6-1 news came out into the story. And the last leader to be interviewed was Andy Kenny. First question Brian Dobson asked him was, talk to us about how the economy turned around. Second, why, what were you thinking when you took Alexander's medical card away? It was the 42-day campaign at the end of it. We had 17 newspaper articles, 16 radio interviews, and six television interviews, and all the terminal children got their medical cards back, and it's now enshrined in law that cannot be taken away. Now, the steps are very simple. Acceptance plus pan plus positive action now, and then the whole universe will conspire with us. When we moved Providence, I couldn't have orchestrated that. People all got on on Twitter and everything. But it's you take that, if it is to be, it is up to me. You take that first momentum, take that first step. And, you know, you're our mutual friend with this company in the North. Like, he would say, like, you know, that this it's all in your head. It's your approach that you make. Like, how do you... What's your story? What's your interpretation? And I remember him asking him one time in the boardroom there, I said to him, what? what's your top priorities? And he just, he, like, he's a very blunt man. He says what he says. He says, well, I don't care about profits. I says, I don't care about customers. I said, you're building a company. You don't care about profits. You don't, like, you're making no sense to me at all. 
No, he says, priority number one, he says, I want to create a company where my employees are happy. That's number one, happy employees. And already he was way ahead of the game. In Harvard, now they're saying that happiness is the new productivity. So that was his first one. His second one was, I want everyone in my company to be able to achieve their full potential. And he said, if they cannot achieve with me, I will facilitate them to wherever they can achieve it because I have no interest in overseeing Mozart milking cows or Michelangelo minding sheep. And he said, there's no teaching hens to swim in my company. And the third one is, he said, is that, um, is, is that I want everyone to be the very best version of themselves so that those around them can flourish and shine and be the best they can be. And he says, as a result of that, customers get great service and profits come in the back door. That's, that's exactly it. You know, it's funny, as you say that, those are, those are Harvard and their textbook examples of behaviours that drive profits. But this mutual acquaintance was not a student of any of these books. He didn't go yes. to university. He was working from the age of 15. He's grown a business up to be market leading and he saw it decline at a much yeah. quicker rate. And now he's building it back up again. And he has really, really re- retained all, all, of the, the, all of those values the whole way through. And there's a sincerity about that. And his, his levels of positivity um, in the face of adversity would be um, staggering. You know, there'd be, it'd be it easy to disbelieve. It'd be easy to disbelieve. It would be easy to think he's faking it, except he's not. He's not, yeah. No, but, yeah. He, but a man came to me, <clears throat> and he knows him, and he said, I phoned him. He says, I phone him up a few times a week, and I phone him up just to get his response. I say, how are you? And he says, um, <laughs> I'm fantastic. Jesus, if I was any better, like I'd be elevated. Like, I have one wee problem, though. What's that? He says, nobody ever told me to be this good, you know? And the first time I said that to him, he says, I just tore into him. I said, I have off your B, I said to him, you know? And then he said something very significant to me. He said, look, why? He said, why is it that I must feel bad to make you feel good? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And like uh, this man has not gone to Harvard or anything like that, but I will tell you something. Harvard could do an incredible case study. Oh, stop it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I think that um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's, yeah, you're, you're spot on. And I think that one of the things that you, I would learn from that case study would be that um, understanding your true potential, understanding what's inside you, having, um, that sense of awareness, but, you know, staying on the green platform, you can become and live a better life and be the version of yourself. And I'd heard that if it's to be, it's down to me. Yeah. 14 years ago from a a guy who played football for Tyrone and um, was, I was saying to him, like, so what's the biggest motivational driver for you? And we were laughing and kind of slagging and everything else. And he said that I live my life by this idiom and it's, if it's to be, it's down to me. It's about me taking action and not waiting on somebody else to help, but more importantly, not choosing to be the victim, not choosing yeah. to... And some people can enjoy victimhood. You know, some people can have had a really bad experience in their life and they'll carry that forever and use it to at dinner parties, a story at dinner party. I could be guilty of that myself, you know, where you think that this, this particular incident will inform you 
but it's only informing you if you let it inform you. Yeah, and you see, it's the thing is that I love that sentence you say, where he because he really got who says he did. He didn't say becoming a victim, but he really nearly said, "I I refuse to choose to be a victim." Yeah, that's powerful, Paul, because you know, and with the victim, like you know, why people don't want to go? Who would I be without my victim story? Yeah, it's my identity. Yeah. You know, so they, they wear it like a, 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 like a suit. But just going to the back a little bit, I just want to just hand a bit about suffering, you know. Because suffering, if you don't transform it, you'll transmit it. And you'll transmit it to those who lead it, need it, your own family and friends most. So you transform with purpose, with meaning. Jonathan Irwin lost three sons, the father Jack and Jill. The third son gone, like, you know, he was just totally devastated. And uh, in, in India, they say you grieve for 40 days and turn, then you turn your grief into good works. So Jonathan set up the Jack and Jill Foundation yeah. that has now um, like, uh, raised over 70 billion and helped uh, to th- over 2,000 families with nurses and all that here in Ireland. And um, just as an aside, because the Jack and Jill Foundation and St. Catharines were so good to Alexander, Paul, all the profits from the green platform goes to Jack and Jill and St. Catharines. So far, we've been able to give them 20,000. So that's the, fantastic, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's because it's the old thing of living is forgiving, like, you know, and, and you do it like people have said to me, you'd be better off paying off your mortgage. But the thing is, if you wait till then, it'll never happen, you know, because we're never ready for that. But the thing about the suffering is that there was um, a, a situation I had a beautiful young kid in, in Vermont and his name was Grady and he was crushed with a, a you know um, on the side of a hill a slurry spreader turned over the tractor and crushed him and two weeks before he died he put on the you know he um, he put a little note on the fridge and he just the note was I will always love you and I won't stop love Grady and then they took that little wobbly writing note and they put on the and little stickers and all of that. But the mother was very upset. I was with her. And then this, this, she asked me to talk to the grandmother and I talked to the grandmother, Susan. And um, she was just totally devastated and all that and in a very bad grief. And we're, we ended up practically fighting, but I was explaining like a green and red platform and she was having none of it and all of that. But then she's driving me into the town and she stopped the car and she said, look, you have no idea. You don't understand. You have no idea what it's like for me to look across that hill and see little Grady's body crushed in blood on that hill. You don't, you have no idea. How do you think that feels like for me? And I said, and I was back, we were fighting. I said, look, Susan, it depends on which, I go back to green and red platform. You stand on your red platform. You stand as the victim. You stand the poor me. And you look across at that hill. And how you see and what you see will determine how you'll be. So you see Grady's little crushed body and you get suffering. And suffering, if you don't transform, you transmit it. So you don't transform it. And you transmit it to everybody you meet in the town for the rest of the day. And you become a royal pain for everybody you meet. Or you can, how you see and what you see will determine how you be. So you can switch to the green platform. Now you can look across that hill and there's a big banner covering the hill. And the banner says, I will always love you and I won't stop, love Grady. And then, Susan, you become a love transmitter. And you transmit that love to all the people you meet for the rest of the day. Now, which would Grady want you to transmit? The suffering and the sludge and the woe and the misery of the red platform 
or the the joy, the happiness, the love of the green platform, which would really want you to do. So she told me to get out of the car. I got out, she came around, she gave me the biggest hug because she says, I know. Now, Paul, to me, that's the power, the transformational power of the green and red platform. Mm. It's it's simply life-changing. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Um, We've been talking. I'm I'm not going to tell you how long we've been talking for in case you start giving out to me. I think it's been a long time. We've been a long time, but um, I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up now. I want to thank you very much for for coming on. I know I know you're busy. I, I know that your work takes you everywhere, and the the pandemic has probably meant that your travels abroad are confined to Zoom and all sorts. But nonetheless, it's very demanding work. So, first of all, thanks for coming on. Um, I've re- I've read the two books. Um, I can only say from my experience is that. Um, what started off as maybe a bit of curiosity and if, John, if, if our mutual friend had said they're worth reading, then read them. And I read them. And um, I have to say that that some of the case studies and the anecdotes themselves are fascinating and it's really worth reading from that context. But the book on the green platform is something I think everybody as an individual owes it to themselves to read just to get a better framework from which they can perhaps work from. And if you're in business, if you're thinking about creating culture, if you're thinking about uh, a model set of behavior, uh, mindset, attitudinal, law of positivity stuff, um, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant piece of work, really is. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you, Declan, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You've got thegreenplatform.com is the website. Yeah, thegreenplatform.com or andec.ie are... Um, well, it's the, my email is just very simple. It's declan at andec.ie, A-N-D-E-C dot I-E. So that would be an easy way. And maybe to wrap up, Paul, i just say that, to finish that, like from my experience in life, that the single most radical revolutionary act we can commit in today's world, especially in today's COVID world, is to dare to be joyful people, to dare to give children the idea that some of us adults are actually enjoying ourselves, to give up liking our bad days, to dare to be the joyful, magical people we're born to be. And each one of us has an extraordinary gift. We have that treasure inside. We have that signature strength. And we'll use that in the service of humanity to build a better world. Then at the end of the day, when we're brushing our teeth or on our deathbed, we'll have two yeses to the two like uh, there's there's three great green platform questions I have. We have two yeses or three yeses. One is, did I find joy in my life on the green platform today? And the second question is, did my life on the green platform bring joy to others? And the final great green platform question is, how do I respond with joyful, loving service to whatever life is unfolding in front of me now. Two yeses and a third yes to that last question. And to me, Paul, that on this planet Earth is as good as it gets. Thank you. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. I'll get talking to you again soon. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great week. You too. Thanks now. So that was that podcast. Um, I hope it kind of makes sense now when when I tell you that it did go all over the place, but there are definitely 
some real pearls of wisdom in there from from Declan Coyle, and um, I'm really delighted to to have to have had this episode as raw as it is because um, it kind of made a lot of sense to me, and I got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of it beforehand as well, which I may talk about at another stage. And um, just to remind you, you can get on to Declan at thegreenplatform.com. Um, he has uh, a couple of other channels. He's on Twitter at um, Declan Coyle now. Um, and yeah, um, get one of the books. Just check out the book. The book's called The Green Platform. Um, if, th- if this podcast has made any sense to you, then you're really going to love um, his book. So thanks very much for listening and I'll catch up again soon.